The historical faith of Christianity stands or falls on the case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a historical fact that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government, but is there any evidence for the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe, is one of the most certain facts of history. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and happy Resurrection Day to those of us who believe that Jesus is truly risen from the dead. My purpose for this podcast today is to basically give you some evidence why I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. And I will say this, and I know it might upset some folks, but I am known to do that from time to time. But see, I believe the historical in the historical resurrection of Jesus, and if that is the case, if Jesus is truly risen from the dead, then Christianity is true, and all the other religions are false. So if you're a Muslim, if you embrace New Age ideology and teaching, if you are Hindu or Buddhist or Wiccan or just a full-blown atheist, I really... Um, I'm not shaken by your worldview by any means, and I want to let you know I love you when I say that if Jesus is risen from the dead, then your worldview is bankrupt. But at the same time, I want to, I'm not going to leave that statement there and let it settle, because essentially what makes Christianity different from all the other religions is the fact that there is a historical resurrection and that it was Jesus of Nazareth who rose from the dead. It wasn't Mithras, it wasn't Dionysius, or some of these dying and rising deities that were recorded later after the Gospels were written. But, you know, as you and I celebrate uh, the resurrection uh, holiday, you know, I want to share with you basically three uh, basic uh, pieces of evidence, and one of them is going to be expounded on a little bit more uh, as we go through this episode today. His resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament. It was prophesied even by Jesus himself. And and then those who claimed to be eyewitnesses were willing to die for believing in the resurrected Christ. Now, these are three truths that you can use to share uh, from, like, say, internal sources. But what I want to do here is lay out the first two, and then what I will do when I will share with you three more facts that uh, dovetail with the first three. Now, using these facts, I believe what we're going to do is hopefully provide a way that will equip you to share with others as to why you place your faith in Jesus. Now, if you are somebody who does not embrace Christianity, welcome uh, to listening to this podcast. I hope that you will take into consideration the facts that I present 
in these in in these moments. Now, what I want to let you know is, do you go and you say, "Well, Rob, these are facts." You're saying that these are facts. You're using that word "fact." I am because I want to let you know that what I'm going to give you, even though it might not be accepted by secular scholars they are at least admitted to be true. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is they might not be embraced by secular scholars. You know, some people can be presented with a case, be presented with the truth and still not believe it. But they are willing to admit that these things are true, whether they believe them or not. Also, I am going to deal with some internal facts on the front end of this presentation in order for us to be able to go and build the groundwork for the, the, what I've just shared with you. Now, truth number one is the fact that the Old Testament prophecy did predict in many places that, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Now, Jesus himself is unique among all people in human history and that he was a fulfillment of centuries of messianic prophecies which are found in the Old Testament. Now, these prophecies foretold of his place of birth in Bethlehem, the details of his life, his mission, his nature, his death, and his resurrection. Now, some scholars estimate that there are more than 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that refer to Jesus as the Messiah. One of those is being in Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11, which says this, You will not abandon my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. And also Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, uses this psalm referring to a prophecy of Jesus' resurrection. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28, and also verse 31. Jesus' body would not undergo decay. The Apostle Paul, speaking at the synagogue service, also connects Psalm 16 with Jesus' resurrection where he says, therefore David also says in another psalm that you will not let your Holy One see see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. That's Acts 13, verses uh, 35 to 37. So that's the first one, the fact that the Old Testament prophecy predicted Jesus' resurrection Paul used it in the Acts of the Apostles recorded by Luke. Truth number two is that Jesus also prophesied his own resurrection. That's right. Jesus prophesied his own resurrection. He also torqued off the Pharisees with that. That was one of the accusations at his court trials. Jesus spoke openly about what would happen to him when he came to Jerusalem. He tells us in Mark chapter 8, 31, and we can also cross-reference this with 17, 22 of Matthew and Luke 9, 22, and also John chapter 2, verses 18 to 21, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, but after three days rise again. Now, Jesus prophesied these in Mark, Matthew, and Luke's gospel. But see, in John chapter 2, 18 to 21, Jesus says, you tear down this temple, three days I will raise it up. And it says that John tells us that the Jews responded back. It took us 40 
years to build this temple, and you say you're going to raise it in three. And verse 21 of John chapter 2 says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. And of course, that was thrown at him as far as an accusation that he said he was going to destroy the temple. Now, those who consider the resurrection of Christ unbelievable conjecture that the early church put these statements in Jesus' mouth well after his death. But anyone who is willing to give an honest reading of the Gospels must come to their conclusion that Jesus himself spoke of his resurrection. Now, we've talked about the fact of Old Testament prophecy, and we talked about the fact of Jesus resurrecting. This is where we're going to go and open up the onion a little bit more. We're going to open up uh, and unpeel it, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically give you what are known are basically minimal facts that are expected, are, are accepted, not expected, but accepted by both sacred and secular scholarship. So up to this point, we've seen the Old Testament and Jesus' prophecies. But what we need to do is bring a look at what I would call four key factors that cannot be denied. Again, not they are not denied by secular scholars. They are definitely not um, denied by religious scholars, particularly Christian scholars. And in fact, most scholars, believing and skeptical, find these facts actually hard to refute and find themselves willing to accept them. The first thing I think it's pretty obvious is the fact that it is a historical fact, number one, that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government. We read about this in Matthew chapter 27, verses 31 to 56. We read about this in Mark uh, chapter 15, verses 20 to 41, Luke chapter 23, 26 to 49, and also in John's gospel, uh, chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. So all four gospel writers record for us um, Jesus's crucifixion. But we also have secular scholars like Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, Mara Barsepian, and also the Jewish Talmud that also record his crucifixion as an historical fact. So it is a historical fact that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government. Number two is the fact that the tomb of Jesus was found empty. Now, there's the question is really now what happened to the body? Okay, you have an, an empty tomb, like, hey, uh, Pilate, um, he is uh, not there. Uh, somebody may have stolen the body or the fact that, um, you know, he might have swooned or alien abduction or, you know, there's all kinds of, and none of these are not without an answer. In fact, you know, somebody stole the body, what you'd have to do is you'd have to beat up a platoon of guards at the tomb, beat up the guards, roll a two-ton stone, and basically go in and steal the body. But you got to remember that these guys, these these uh, disciples were Jewish. They're not going to touch a dead body. They're not going to go and try and steal a body while they were scared and hiding and b being afraid of being put on crosses themselves for being a follower of Jesus. 
So the question of what happened to the body is pretty easy to answer. Now, there are three key factors here. Uh, factors, things like the Jerusalem factor that solidify the start of the Christian faith, the validation of the Christian faith, and progressing forward of the historical Christian faith, and each of, each of which could make up a short presentation or be a good part of a presentation if you were given the say like in a Bible study. First off is the Jerusalem factor I just mentioned. And so what this what this entails is the fact that you got these apostles and they're eyewitnesses to the crucifixion, they're eyewitnesses to a resurrection. So when the apostles began publicly preaching that Jesus had been physically resurrected the dead, it is not as if they began traveling to some faraway land to tell the people who had no means of investigating the veracity of the event. It wasn't like the movie Star Wars, say for example, it said, let me tell you something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, the apostles began proclaiming the resurrection in Jerusalem, the very city where Christ was publicly killed. There is simply no way they could have done so if there were if it were not true. The second one I wanted to share with you is the fact of this whole thing of enemy attestation. Now, what is enemy attestation? You got an enemy and they don't like you. They don't like what you represent. But what they also are willing to say here is yeah, I don't like him, but he's a real nice guy or he speaks the truth. So enemy attestation in summation here is where you have a testimony about an event or a person, and that is given by a source who does not sympathize with the person, the message, or the cause that benefits from the affirmation. Then there is no reason to believe the authenticity of the testimony. So when you take the empty tomb, the empty tomb can be found either implicitly were explicitly stated in the works of Josephus, Justin Marta's dialogue with Trifo, or even Tertullian's on spectacles, and even in the Jewish Toledoth, which is a derogatory version of Jesus' life in Jewish tradition. And then there's the testimony conspiracy in Matthew's Gospel, which is probably even more embarrassing testimony than all the others. You see, because you got these guards, and these guards were enemies of Jesus. And I want to insert this here because I believe this is a, a good example of enemy attestation, or even conspiracy theory for that matter. You know, with somebody, okay, notice that it states in Matthew's Gospel, now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Now, the resurrection of Jesus has already happened. The guards fell like dead men. The angels came, rolled away the stone. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And it goes on to say that when they had assembled with all the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And listen to what they say here and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Let me stop there for just a second. 
you're sleeping at night. You're sleeping on the duty, on, on, while you're on duty. Do you really know what's going on with you, around you? No, you don't. And see, the next verse is even fascinating too. And they said, they go on to say, and if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. What would the, why would they get in trouble? The reason why they would get in trouble is because if a guard let a captive get away, either in route, route to the cross or even rising from the dead, that that guard was not going to live very long. They weren't going home to their family. They would be replacing the one that they were guarding to go to their execution. So I want to let you know that there was a lot there. And it says that, and they took the money and did as they were instructed. And what? And this story was widely spread among the Jews to this day. So this is a conspiracy theory that is still going on today. So we have um, enemy attestation, and we have the the um, uh, Jerusalem factor. Jerusalem factor, enemy attestation, and then also you have the transformed lives of the disciples. What did the disciples see that caused them to turn from cowards to bold witnesses that would turn them eventually, have them turn the world upside down, even to the point of emboldening them to tell the Caesars that Jesus was risen and that Caesar is not God, but Jesus is God. And, and of course, this brings us to the third part. The disciples went from scared believers to bold eyewitnesses of a resurrected Messiah. We read about this in Matthew 28, 1 through 10, Mark chapter 16, Luke 24, 1 through 43, John 2, 22, even chapters 20 and 21, 1 through 23. They also proved their conviction in Christ's resurrection by willing to pay with their own lives for saying that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is risen, and Jesus is God and not Caesar. Let me give you an example. Luke records for us in Acts the martyrdom of James, the son of Zebedee, in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. One of the apostles of Jesus. Jerusalem secular historian Josephus confirms the execution of James in his Antiquities of the Jews, book 20 and chapter 9, and the eyewitnesses were willing to die for their claim that Jesus was still alive. Number four, Jesus appeared to foes and enemies. And this is probably one of my most favorite. And the reason is the very fact that you have the brothers of Jesus. They were not followers of Jesus until after the resurrection. And the fact is equally, if not more important or interesting when it comes to post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Let's first start with foes. Or those who were closest to Jesus, who were skeptical. Again, let me point you to his brothers. According to the Apostle John, in John chapter 7, verse 5, we read that not even his brothers believed in him. And folks, you know, that's pretty incredible. 
the fact that they saw Jesus. They knew what Jesus was all about. They knew what their brother Jesus was all about. They knew what Yeshua said. They knew what he did. You know, he probably came home and told them whenever he made it back home to Capernaum. But you got to take into consideration that those who had lived with Jesus for 30 years really did not know him either. Not one of Jesus' brothers is mentioned as a disciple during his pre-crucifixion ministry. But after his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, they are there in the upper room worshiping him as God. We read about that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So you have two brothers. You've got James, who became the, the bishop at Jerusalem. And you've got Jude, who Peter tells us is a brother of James in his letter. And those two guys are brothers and half-brothers of Jesus. And Jude writes a pretty sharp letter uh, about false teaching in the church. So he was doing that out of boldness and, and, and uh, you know, honoring his, the, the teaching that, that his half-brother Jesus had taught. Now, I talked about those who were close to him. What about those who were, you know, kind of like enemies? You know, think about the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the Sadducees. He had, Jesus had bouts with, with them, you know, uh, verbal bouts going, talking about the truth of the resurrection, truth of the afterlife with the Sadducees because they didn't believe in it. But there's, a, there's one particular Pharisee who you will remember as Saul of Tarsus. Folks, his life was changed. A Pharisee by the name of Saul of Tarsus, in the modern vernacular, he was to be considered today what we would call a religious terrorist. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. We can read about that in, the, in Acts chapter 7. He supported and approved the persecution of the Christian church. But this same Saul of Tarsus became Paul. He claimed to have encountered the risen Jesus on his way to imprisonment to imprison Christians, and later he would be imprisoned for his faith. But he was on his way to imprison Christians, and he talks about this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, 9, chapter 1, verses 1 to 22, chapter 17, chapter 19, chapter 20, and chapter 22, 6, Verse, uh, verses 6 to 21, and also in Philippians 2, his letter to Philippi, in chapter 2, verses 2 through 11, where he gives basically his pedigree as far as who he was. He calls himself a persecutor of the Christians. Paul was a fanatical Pharisee and a student of the great religious rabbi, Jewish rabbi, Gamaliel. And all of these led him against the belief in Jesus' resurrection. But his conversion is huge. It, it is miraculous because Jesus appeared to him, and we see this in his subsequent mission work and his suffering for the faith are all a testimony to the fact that he was willing to identify himself with Jesus' resurrection. And, 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 of course, he referred to the appearances to him um, in Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 15 and 16. 
So what are we to make of all of this? You know, we talk about the fact that, you know, the Old Testament prophesied. We talked about the fact that Jesus prophesied. And I've given you these minimal facts, the fact it's a historical fact that Jesus was crucified by the Roman government. The tomb of of Jesus was emptied. We talked about where Christianity started and why it started there. We talked about enemy attestation. And we talked about the transformed lives of the disciples under that. And then thirdly, we talked about the disciples went from scared believers to bold eyewitnesses of a resurrection. Messiah, and lastly, those were uh, those who were converted; those that were foes and enemies. Folks, I've given you why I believe in the resurrection. These are facts that I embrace wholeheartedly to the point of conviction. If Jesus is risen from the dead, and I believe that He is, then, crucif- then Christianity is true, and all the other religions are false. Well, what if somebody stole the body? We talked a little bit about that. What about uh, him swooning? Nobody survives a Roman spear, folks. Jesus was speared on the, in the side where, where one gospel writer records that blood and water mixed came out. So he did not swoon. No enemies, no aliens uh, took him away. But see, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then Christianity is true. And I believe that it is. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And I want to thank you for listening today because this is a very important uh, topic with reference to the authenticity of the Christian faith. But it is also uh, the fact that you and I can walk in the power of the resurrection and then even in the fellowship of his sufferings. And folks, things are going to get worse. So this is something that you and I can hang our convictions on. So as you go out this week, as you go out and celebrate and live your life, you can not just remember the resurrection uh, one day out of the year, but you can walk in the power of the resurrection, the resurrection, and you can also remember every time that you take the elements, because when you take the elements of communion, Jesus told his disciples, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now think about that for just a moment. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup in the here and the now, we proclaim the Lord's death in the past until he comes in the future. The Lord's Supper transfuses all of time and reality in that one celebration and commemoration, uh, celebration ordinance, if you will, where we can go and say that God is beyond time, He transcends time, and the fact that what Christ accomplished by dying on a cross, according to the Scriptures, being buried and rising on the third day, according to the Scriptures, is a historical fact that transcends all of, Pat, all of time. It was a remarkable event. It is an event that changes human history and can change your life if you only embrace him as your Lord and your Savior. I pray that you do. If you do, 
Well, if, you, if this podcast has pointed you in that direction, I want to hear from you. You can email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com and let me know about your decision. Let me know if you have any questions about what you've heard in this episode today. So as you go out this week, as you go out and through life, keep your ears to the ground for any conversations that you might hear. Uh, any opportunities to jump in and share the good news of Jesus. Christ and his resurrection, and why he came, why he died, and why he can save an individual. He saved me over 40 years ago, 42 years ago this June. So as you go out this week, as you go, be on the alert for conversations. Be in the Word. Be on, be on your knees in prayer. Pray for us. Pray for the folks also at Adventurous Apologetics. I'll share more about them next week as they get pre- as they prepare to take a mission trip, their first inaugural mission trip, and um, I'll share a little bit about that. I won't be giving you names, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it's exciting because I am uh, kind of connected with them uh, with regards to this this trip as far as helping with the uh, uh, the prayer support and also hopefully uh, some support afterwards, maybe online support, you know, helping uh, the the follow-up uh, aspects of the trip. So nevertheless, as you go out this week, um, go out, give them heaven, be a fragrance, not a stench, but more importantly, go out and 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 give them heaven because people are looking for something real. We'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. <laughs>